0: Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies.
1: Hey everyone, to the medical device professionals who are driving innovation, let's get together. True Quality 2022 in San Diego is the must-attend experience of the year. So why? Well, let's talk about community. For me, being a medical device engineer, I always felt like being kind of like a part of a secret club. Maybe not the kind with forts or secret knocks and passwords, the kind that felt like kinship. Did you route that report yet? Did you get it approved? Have you finished that statistical analysis? The kind of group that knows what it's like working odd hours. You come in early, you, you get home late, you're hyper-focusing on ultra-specific problems. It's Sometimes it can be isolating, and ultimately the joys of life, that's MedTech. At True Quality 2022, you'll be inspired by a community of medical device entrepreneurs and operators who see each other for who and what they truly are. Mission-driven innovators determined to improve the quality of life. If you want to take your quality to the next level, grab your seats now for True Quality 2022. June 6th through the 8th in beautiful San Diego, California. Visit our website at www.greenlight.guru to learn more. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with Abbas Diliwala. He is a cybersecurity and software as a medical device expert. Abbas has 18 years of experience developing enterprise-grade software for the medical device industries, well-versed with technology, industry standards, and uh, the privacy of data. His experience, it lies in, in programming, cloud cybersecurity data storage and regulated medical device software he works with galen data prior to galen data abbas worked as a software architect at titronic software where he led technical teams in creating medical device software that was successfully cleared in us and european markets he also has a master's degree in software engineering from the university of houston and a bachelor's degree in information technology all that said The thing that we want to talk about today is usability and cybersecurity and kind of the intersection of those two, usability and software as a medical device. It's an interesting topic. It's one that we don't hit on very often, so I hope this is of benefit to you all. hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. It's good to be with you today. We're talking today about security and usability of medical devices, software as a medical device. Today with us to talk about this subject is Abbas Diliwala. Hopefully I got that right. Uh, because, right. <laughs> all right. Last time I did an episode, I mispronounced my own name. So, you know, <laughs> we'll see how this goes. <laughs> but it's good to be with you today. Let me start with a question. Balancing security and usability in medical device, kind of the proposed topic of the discussion today. There has been a lot of discussion about security, cybersecurity. How does that play in or how is that even a balance with usability? Can you Can you explain that a little bit?
0: Sure. So uh, my, from my position as, as a chief technology officer, I'm into product development, right? So I need to develop products that people will use, obviously in healthcare, cybersecurity and cybersecurity in general, but specifically healthcare, huge focus. And so we have to kind of uh, be aware of it, uh, address uh, all the issues that come up with. Um, the FDA has come up with you know recently an uh, uh, even newer version of its uh, FDA guidance um, and a lot of information, a lot of things. So we have to do all that stuff, right? It's important to decide security but ultimately if you make the product in a way that's hard to use you can be secure but if nobody uses it it doesn't really matter you know there's a there's a a quote uh, from a famous cybersecurity researcher saying the most secure product is one that's hidden in a titanium shell uh, with nuclear uh, you know, weapons around it. Uh, and even then, it's not sure if it's safe. right? So there's always going to be a balance. You have to obviously look for security, but you have to ensure that people can actually use the product so they're getting out of the product, what do you want them to get out of the product, as much as we're balancing security. So it's a balancing act, and it's not easy. And you have to kind of make uh, trade-offs here and there. Um, but that's kind of what we want to talk
1: about. Okay, now that sounds good. And so looking at that, so cybersecurity, obviously it's a requirement. How is it we should approach these things with with usability? Usability, there are standards around usability as well. What's the approach you typically take?
0: So that's an interesting question. So there is no standard approach. uh, Unfortunately, while there is standards for uh, human factor testing, right? We have kind of collated around a couple of different standards and FDA has kind of said, okay, these are good standards. There's no such thing around cybersecurity alone. I mean, there's lots of standards, just no harmonization. And then there's no harmonization around addressing usability, and addressing cybersecurity. So that's a big gap, which means that there is still a evolving field of how to do that. But what we try to do essentially is, you know, try to get the user feedback as soon as possible, right? And then basically say, okay, what can we do uh, while still being secure? Like what kind of uh, innovation we need, what kind of technologies we need to develop or, or deploy to make this something that the user can still work. Given that, there's different kinds of users within the healthcare spectrum, right? So you have the, you have the hospital staff, for example, people that are trained or can be trained more easily, but also people who are more in stress than the nurses of the hospital or the, or, the, or the doctors. So you account for that, that you can train them on a certain way, but you also have to account for that. Maybe there's just too much stress, and there's an emergency room, and the doctor needs to know what medication I cannot give to this patient. I need to log into the EHR to get that, and I have seven different passwords I need to try before getting in. That doesn't work, right? but you can train them. Then there's this spectrum of the kind of patients, which uh, you know they're on the gamut from uh, somebody who's very good at technology to someone who just hates technology. And you got to figure out a solution that while still so secure, how do you make this stuff to work? So a lot of user research is what can we do and kind of figure out where to target. If you're targeting an older population versus targeting a newer population, not saying the older population is like, like, like where, but there's a different way they work and a different kind of know acceptable things uh, that you may be able to do that versus a, a different place. Trust, so again, you're targeting a different kind of uh, community that is more trusting of technologies versus less trusting of technologies. So you got to figure all that out as part of your user, user research so you know which technologies from a security point of view you can deploy. That's addresses. But then again, just like any human factors, you, know, you got to test, you got to test, and you, whatever you pick may not be the right solution. And there's always, and the nice thing about software is the iterations are relatively easier comparatively uh, than, than a hardware solution so you have that ability to kind of iterate over uh, more times but ultimately it's it's first recognizing that you have to kind of keep you know uh, when you bring on security consultants and they said you got to do all the stuff you always have to take setback okay, but how does it how does a patient interact with the system? how does a, a healthcare worker interact with the system? how does your own staff interact with the system and what can you do and to minimize stress because we already healthcare is already a stressful environment how can you minimize the stress while still providing the same level of security?
1: Wow, that's that's a re- really good answer. So, really, yeah, there's a lot of things to think about. Sounds like we need to think about who's going to be interacting with it, um, what's the intended use, what's the level of security required. Lots of those things working together in tandem. When you when you deal with companies who are working on this and working towards a solution, both a secure solution that's also usable, user friendly. What are some things that you typically see? Maybe some pitfalls that are common that that people kind of get trapped up in.
0: Yeah, so I mean, uh, the fundamental layer of uh, kind of security is to know who the user is, right? So we talked about that sort of technologies as, as a user management or account provisioning or, or identity and access management as a general group. Um, so that's generally where a lot of these things happen because a lot of stuff you can do behind the scenes that doesn't interact with the user. Like you can encrypt um, your data, right? you can encrypt an address, you can transition, the user doesn't care. They don't know, they don't interact. But when the user has to start providing information that's generally around the identity management, right? who am I and how do I prove I'm the right person, right? And so the typical things you do is, you know, a, a username and password, right? So you do use that everywhere, so that's simple. Except we tell people, hey, uh, use a unique password that's 20 characters long, and something you'll never use somewhere else, but yet you remember it every day. <laughs> um, like okay, <laughs> good from a security perspective, but how does that really work? I mean, realistically, they do that probably not. Uh, well, they'll probably use it over and over again, or they'll write it down and put it somewhere digitally that is insecure. So things like that. How do you kind of take that, take the user's aspect and says, okay, yes, it improves my security to some degree by having a complex password and and making it so unique that it's only available to the service, but it also puts a big constraint on the user side. You're essentially putting the burden of security on the user rather than trying to figure out how to take the button on in the application so then you say okay what can i do you know i still need security i still need to know who the user is and i want that user to uh, want that that access not to be spoofed right i don't want someone else basically coming in and as as that user because that is a privileged user so again you can start classifying different users you can say okay these are my regular users they don't have a whole lot of privilege in the system like my patients they only see the data these are my administrators that can do a lot of damage right so can i deploy different things for different kinds of mm. uh, user types? Can I make the administrator go through a more rigorous proving point because their damage is much higher? And here, I maybe I can figure out a different way of interacting. Can I start using things like, can I use their uh, other credentials? Like, can I do single sign-on, right? Can I start using their Google or their Facebook or things that they already use, uh, their credentials and stuff? Uh, deploying my own traditional system. How can I do that? What are the risks there? So again, it all comes back to risk management, like anything in healthcare or anything medical yeah. device. So <laughs> start with the risk and kind of figure out where the risks are, but think about it instead of just saying, okay, everybody needs a username and password. Can I have different layers uh, of that? And depending on the kind of harm done, can I deploy different solutions that are more user-friendly to some of the group at
1: least? That makes sense. Yeah, I was flying recently and they let me do a trial run of the clear eyes thing where they looked at my eyes, the biometric. And I'm going to lead into that in a a minute to ask about potential future, I don't know, technology that's out there. But I I also thought immediately, uh, well, what about the the fingerprint scanner on your, maybe your MacBooks? But I also got to thinking, OK, well, if the intended use is a surgeon, he has to take his gloves off, then you have an issue there. So it kind of goes back to like you were saying earlier, you have to go back to the the user study and see how how are they going to use it in the field? How is it going to be used on the ground? That makes a lot of sense. But what do you see as far as cutting edge technology or new? You work with a lot of companies. What are your, what what are you seeing right now? So bi- biometrics
0: is absolutely something that will help. Um, the problem is either the the technology is not as secure currently, or there's just too much burden uh, to be put uh, to get it working consistently. So again, on my phone, um, you know, we have the fingerprint scanning, we have the uh, the face scanning, uh, the face ID and stuff, and you know, there was an iris scan. I think uh, Samsung had it delivered a few years ago. It never really worked. Yeah. Um, and but the, it's getting better, right? So the, the the fingerprint scanning that was 10 years ago wasn't very good and wasn't very secure. Today it's much secure, much more reliable. Uh you still have a backup plan though, because you know I can get a cut or my fingers can burn or, or I may be wearing uh in situation, I may be wearing uh gloves or something else, um, things like that. So you still need a backup. So I think you will see more and more biometrics being deployed but you still always have to, from security perspective, you know, what is the weakest point? So if you still require them to fall back on a password or a code and that code is no good, or the password mechanism is no good, you still have the same vulnerability, right? Hey, somebody can get in. So you just have to, unless we can come up with a a much better solution uh, in terms of biometrics, I think we'll still have that, that discussion around. As far as biometrics is concerned, I think uh, this few different things. Uh there is the there's a palm scanner now uh, that people are experimenting with which looks at your blood flow. So not okay. quite sure how that works, but there's some unique apparently there's some unique pattern in how your blood flows in your veins. Uh, and you can you can come up with a signature uh, that it's still cutting edge. It's wow. still uh it's the thing that it's useful it's it's touchless. Um and it can go through anything you wear. So if you're wearing a glove because it's uses an IR uh signal and you don't have to touch it. So that was good for like, you know, in the COVID situation where people they won't touch things. So it could um, go through
1: a glove, you say?
0: Through a glove, because it wow. uses an IR Interesting. to scan your blood. So it's useful in healthcare because as a surgeon I can yeah, I can you know, use that, I don't know <laughs> how to take out stuff, I don't know how to touch anything because I'm in a, in a, in a store field. Um, so it's it's something that may be useful, uh, but again, it's a very early technology, still a lot of research needed and still reliable components that to be made uh, that, can, that can do that. Uh, so those kind of things. But yeah, I mean, uh, biometrics is a good example. And uh, so is you know, in, in the other side of things where you have administrators that, again, have a high privilege um, kind of access to the system uh, they can do a lot of damage. Yeah, you can put a more burden, right? For example, you can mandate that they use a two-factor authentication system. So not only do they use username password, but they have to put this code or, or plug in some key or a card, scan a card or something that makes it a little easier. But you don't want that do that for the patients or the healthcare providers every day, because again, if I if I have a card, but I can't touch yeah. things, I can't touch things. Um, so then you make that, that a process that's hard to
1: uh, come up with. That makes a lot of sense. The thing that, I guess, if we go back to cybersecurity and the secure aspect of it, you kind of mentioned a little bit of a balance in the beginning, or I guess in the title of our, our you know, potential discussion here, uh, being a balance, when you're thinking about usability, how do you know if you've gone too far in the balance and maybe you're maybe you're sacrificing cyber or, or security uh in, in, for the sake of usability or it, how do you detect that?
0: So uh, yes, that's a good, good question. So that can happen. Like I mean you can get a patient advocate that says no, no passwords or you know or four digit password, right? That is you know one, two, three, four, but <laughs> or hard coded <laughs> no passwords or only passwords, things like that. You can definitely go that route. So I think it's still just like, you know just like we do with other risk management, you you generally have on your team a kind of cross-functional team that that is, you know, both from a security mind of people, but from a patient or, or from a usability mind of people. And you basically have to still adhere to the risk management principles. Like, what is the risk? If I take away these features uh, from security perspective to improve usability, what is my risk? And is that risk acceptable? So again, it's come down to risk assess- assessment. You have to figure out the ROI of everything you do uh, from, from a risk perspective. Um, and so that's that's still possible. Still not, uh, you still have to do other things that are required in product development by the FDA and by general cybersecurity guidelines, right? You test, you do a lot of testing. You do vulnerability testing, pen testing, those kind of things, and you just you know, those things will come up. Like, hey, I can easily, you know, easily get your passwords in, or I can, I can do this stuff, and then you have to go back and address. Uh, like, how do I keep that secure while I address some of the some of the usability uh, aspects? It. So it's not like you're just. Taking the user side of things, and all yeah, we'll just deal with cybersecurity. I think it's a balance, and you have to constantly work on it. It's it's not a one-time thing, because you know as vulnerability changes, cybersecurity is. Un- unfortunately, it's a thing that's you know it's a cultural shift in medical devices, because in, in devices we're used to this long product development cycles, and you know things don't change that much uh, or that fast. Uh, even safety risks, like we have, but you know. If something is going to shock you, that's probably going to shock you for a while. It doesn't change the profile, doesn't change. Yeah. But a cyber security risk is is evolving every day, which means you have to make that determination pretty much constantly, and you have to constantly evaluate and figure out: okay, did I go too far in one way or the other, and how can I calibrate um, that 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 aspect of it, right? So, and that's that's part. And I think from a, a lot of what you can do. From a usability. So, usability doesn't necessarily mean that you have to make it easy to use. It also makes it so that people perceive this as useful, right? So, if you explain that this is why you're doing things in a way that's digestible by, uh, by your stakeholders, I think it's that that changes the possibility, right? So, for my bank, for example, for me, my bank, if it doesn't ask for a two factor, I perceive that as a problem. So to me, the usability actually enhances because I get a better peace of mind when they add the security measure because I see, okay, I don't want to lose my money, right? So again, it just depends on how you frame things. It's not always that it has to be, you know, one button, do, do everything kind of thing. It's just more about comfort. How comfortable am I as a, as a user to use this technology? Am I Is this adding more burden to me or is this making me... Feel better about it, and so that's a, there's a lot of psychological aspect of usability. So it doesn't mean take away security; it may mean present it in a different way or or explain it in a different way and make sense. It makes sense if you just say, it, "Okay, you have to do it." There's no choice, and it, we don't know why you have to do it, but you have to do it. Uh, it's like you know, if you call uh, customer service and all, they say, "So restart your machine." is like, why? <laughs> <laughs> right. I just did it, uh, but no, just restart. It. That's that. That is what changes to usability aspect because it's it's a feeling that I get as a as a user of of something that's not right for me. So you can. It doesn't have to be again compromise on technology.
1: It can be in a more of an education aspect as well. So that that's really interesting. Is it? it, it piques my interest a little bit because you talked about earlier about user populations, or maybe the different people who are going to be using uh, the the product, um, whether it's in the, you know, professional health field, or maybe just a, a, a normal layperson. I don't have a great word for whoever that may be myself, maybe, but are there different studies that have all been done already across different populations for the usability for this type of thing. And I'll give an example. So when I was in the field, so we might have something that needed to be a right-hand operation. So we would look at a right hand for a um, 95th percentile male, and that was kind of your standard. You had to at least be that. Is there something similar for, um, no.
0: (laughs) No, unfortunately, no. And part of that is because it evolves and it's a contextual thing, right? Again, I talked about the bank experience and. because it's contextual to my risk of losing money, I take that as an okay thing. If the same thing happens other places where I'm just, you know, I'm logging into a site to get some information, but I'm not providing any data, but it still makes me go through the hoops. Same mechanism, but I feel differently. And so it's very contextualized. Uh, It will depend, again, on on a very specific device to device or system to system kind of thing. And that's why I think a user research or a user study up front can can give you a better sense of, for this context, for this use, what is something that the population, the population targeting, what what is some of the things that they, they will feel about how about using it? Again, it's not a balance. Security is important. It wouldn't be very clear. Security yeah. is super important because uh, I mean we see you know all the all over the place. It's not when I mean, you build a system or a device, uh, and you take it to the hospital, it's not just a risk on the on the device or your system, but it could be a risk you know broader risk. And the hospital could be compromising their systems because you connected your device uh, to their to their network, and that could lead to you know a much bigger risk. Uh, of, you know. Uh, platform instead of sort of just device, so the attack vector is much bigger than, so things like that. You have to be very careful. Security is important. The question is, though, we've been always been there's been a push now is to like make everything secure, and it's like okay, yes, great, but let's just take a back and make sure we do it in a way that we're not putting a lot of burden on people who are already burdened um, with the healthcare system.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. You know, you, you also have the user your usability in certain aspects of your device. I my mind goes to like the S bomb. You know, we think, okay, we got a requirement, we've got to do an S bomb. But think with the, the the end use in mind. If that hospital has to metabolize that information to search for potential other vulnerabilities. Then it needs to be, uh, you know, something they can digest. So there's a user aspect even of that. But I mean, that gets a little bit away, I guess, from the. <laughs> that's just a part. But yeah, thoughts. I don't know. <laughs> no,
0: I mean that's that's true. And then uh, the bomb is something that you know now the, in the at least in the next this draft guidance they've asked for explicitly, um, and it's good. It's a good thing uh, because you know we always talk about supply chain, but we never talk about supply chain risk. Um, and in you know. There's supply chain risk in terms of manufacturing, in terms of quality, but now we we have to talk about from a software perspective, supply chain risk in terms of cybersecurity. So it's a good thing. Um, There's several standards now and several tooling that comes uh, with those standards that help to kind of digest uh, some of that stuff. you know, we, we use our internally, we use an SBOM um, and we use a system called Cyclone DX, or a format called Cyclone DX, and there's tooling that we use, because same problem was, I don't want my engineers trying to go through a 700-page JSON uh, to figure out what's going on. I, you, know, you need tooling, but having standards is a nice thing, because then you can develop toolings around that, and the tooling, you know, we use, and it tells us all the vulnerabilities out there, having uh, to go and find each one, it just... Uh, tablets, all that for us. So it, it helps us as an engineers do better product development and then similar things can help a hospital keep track of 100x that information because they have so many devices and so many systems. Um, but ultimately, tooling can be developed and I think it's a good thing that people are moving towards a more standardized system and I would hope eventually that there is a more harmonized standard around cybersecurity uh, and something that accounts for usability and kind of, you know, how just a few years ago, you know, when FDA started pushing on the usability, the human factors aspect of it, it was a similar thing. It was just standalone kind of thing. You do it at the end. And now I think people are moving more and more into a more integrated approach. So you take care of this during design, your development. And cybersecurity kind of needs to move that way as well. And it is. Uh, and then eventually, I think you will have that harmonization around people talking about usability and cybersecurity in kind of the same room around the same design topics.
1: Yeah. So the, the standard that comes to mind with usability, 62366, does that handle the software aspects? It's been a while since I've looked at it.
0: Some of it, and then there's a fee 75, I think. Like H- yeah, E75.
1: yeah,
0: yep. H- both. I mean, they, they did too. I mean, they're more around process, like what you should do um, in terms of process. It doesn't really matter if it's software or hardware, they just talk about you know, like formative studies or user studies and uh, coming up with scenarios or task analysis and stuff like that. So, it's again, it's a process of how to do good usability uh, study, it doesn't necessarily go into uh, you can apply that to physical things, you can apply it to soft, software or, or or something that's uh, like an
1: app that is has both aspects of it. Do you have any recommendations about um, maybe what might be specific to software as a medical device as you're going through those studies?
0: So, again, I think it's uh, the, the things I look for essentially is, you know, how when you when you look at studies you know you have to keep the context in mind right because studies can be done at a different time uh, time frame and as, as things change uh, a security landscape kind of evolves you have to be ready you have to kind of contextualize that okay something we learned three years ago may not be today may be accurate you have to also keep up with technology maybe there's different ways of doing the same thing um, now that you did three years ago like the fingerprint scanner is a good example you know five years they're gone much better where you can kind of maybe think about using that now that you couldn't maybe 5 years ago so just keep that context of time uh, and and the evolving nature of both the threats but also the 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 technologies to kind of counter those threats around that but there is also a uh, a cost dynamic that you know, for product developers you have to keep that. There's no unlimited resource, unlimited money available, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so you yeah, you still have to get to market uh, a product that's usable. So again, that's it's a triangle. You know, how do you balance risks uh, with usability, but in a way that you can actually take to market and be profitable? Um, so you, it's it's hard to give a specific tip, but it's essentially around just trying to balance out different technologies, but look at things from an identity access management, uh, asset management, like spam, for example, uh, from, from the hospital side of things. Uh, how do you do your vulnerability management? How does that impact uh, your design decisions that you made from usability perspective? So a constant analysis of vulnerabilities you know, out there. And if my, my me using my iris scan uh, and the component I use is going to be affected, can I swap out a component or do I need to now create an alternative uh, way to use my system? So things like that and how, how, how things can I update uh, remotely, things I have to build into the hardware because hardware is hard to change, right? So I can change my algorithms, I can change, I can put a new firmware that does different things, but I can't change. If I have an iris scanner built in, I have an iris scanner built in, I can't do anything about it, uh, things like that. So just... How how do you address the ability to patch um in the future when your know, design decisions you made from a user aspect of it now create more security risk than you did when you actually designed the system?
1: Yeah. So those
0: are the kind of things to keep in mind.
1: I I love what you said earlier too about reframing because that, that was a great point with the bank. I'm the same way. If you you didn't ask me certain things, like, well, <laughs> you know, I uh have you seen companies kind of leverage that to, uh, um, to, to to have a more robust system, but still overcome maybe the, some of the usability issues that that system might impose?
0: So I, I know a few companies that have tried, uh, and I say tried because I don't think there's any whole lot of success story, especially in the, the hospital. Yeah. Because yeah. I've still seen the same complaints. Uh, I was like, oh, why do we need to? And we actually had a, a doctor who's an entrepreneur, who's a customer of ours, and he was very critical of our security measures because, like, I don't want to, I don't do this, this, and that. And we had to, but sit down and explain. Look, you know, here's why we do it, and here's why you should leverage those things in your system. And as we as we started reframing, it kind of he started understanding. But he's still a surgeon, and he sees this issue in daily life. He's trying to help the patient. That's the only thing that matters to him is how do I help the patient? And technology comes in my his way rather than assisting him. And so he has this kind of, you know. Uh, a block. So I don't want to do any of that. So I don't know if it's successful, but it at least calmed him down and <laughs> made him uh, use the system. You know, we had to tweak some stuff, but it allowed him to kind of be comfortable with that aspect. But I think, I think we still have a long ways to go to kind of do that at a broader scale uh, where we can kind of re-engage with physicians or nurses uh, and even patients um, to kind of, Established that landscape and says this is important and this is why it's important. This is why we ex- expect you to kind of, you know, take this little bit of uh, inconvenience, but because this is this is useful. And it, again, with a bank, it's always personal, right? So my money gets lost. Uh, that's important because you know it affects uh, the, the psychology of things it's like when it's it's affecting you versus it's affecting someone else and not saying people don't care about other people but there's an yeah. imbalance between how, how you care about yourself and other people yeah. and and so i think that that reframing hasn't really happened that in, in in the healthcare is like it's affecting me versus it's affecting somebody else's system and i think part of that is we the valuation kind of value of data right uh does do patients really value the healthcare data they say yes when you ask them, but do they really value it? Um, you know, do I really care? Uh, my vaccination record is safe. Yeah. In theory, yes, but maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can so see I mean, that. things like that. Right. It, 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 is, is it affecting me personally? And if unless that happens, it's kind of hard to make that case
1: to to you as as a person. But I guess with HIPAA, you really, as a developer, you don't really have any choice to say, well, yeah. What are your thoughts there?
0: Yeah, no. So, I mean, HIPAA does have, you know, certain requirements, right? So, things like, you know, you have to have an identity management, right? So, there's no way around it. But HIPAA is also very general and can and in many cases and you can use many different things to kind of satisfy those requirements so like you, know, you can do identity management differently you as you said we talked about uh the similar ways to do passwordless systems um if you have a phone technically works with hipaa because it has identity and has you know ways to identify single person things like that uh, it works even with uh, cfr 11 you know digital signatures and stuff so that those guidelines or those regulations are pretty broad and they allow different technologies to survive. So you have still have the uh, many of choices to implement, uh, plus comply uh, with, with HIPAA.
1: Okay. Okay, cool. So I'm going to switch topics just a little bit. So we have True Quality coming up in three weeks. I guess you'll be there, I assume. Yes, I'll be there. I'm super excited to meet you in person. And for those of you who are listening right now, who aren't with us, you know, obviously not with us right now, but hopefully you're listening to this prior to the event and are able to come and, and get to hear Abbas. You agreed to speak there, and uh, I don't have the topic in front of me that you're going to be speaking on. What are your? What, why did you agree to speak, if you don't mind me asking?
0: So one is, you know, we've known Greenlight since like five years now um so in fact a short story you know when we started our company the first thing we said okay you know w- how do we How do we uh, get our name out, right? We are a software company uh, that's doing a product, a software product in healthcare. And what do we do? We have no idea. We're the first time entrepreneurs and we came from a healthcare background and you know, did medical-wise software for years, but we never ran a company. We never did any other stuff. And we looked around and I saw Greenlight Guru everywhere. Like no matter what I search, on healthcare, <laughs> I see Greenlight Guru. So like, obviously they've done good at marketing. So we find uh, Nick's uh, phone number and we give him a call. A very cold call and he picks up and he talks to us for an hour <laughs> <laughs> and he tells us everything they did, everything Greenlight did uh, to essentially when when Greenlight was on similar stage. And... We've been friends since, and you know, it was very useful. Um, and we talk, and we've been working with uh, Greenlight. So that was one aspect of it. But also other part, you know, we've done um, webinars with Greenlight. We've done other other things. Like, I haven't done a podcast, but I think a couple of my co-founders have done podcasts. And we always find that to be very useful. Very useful from a content point of view, like discussions, you know, informal discussion. But also other Greenlight Guru podcasts that you have have listened to several of John's uh, uh, stuff. He I think he interviewed our CEO. Of, last year, I believe, and 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 things like other things like that. And always very informative. Even for me that I've been in, in the healthcare industry for almost 70 years now, I still find them to be super informative. Um, and so that's the real aspect of it. It's like I like the format. I like the fact that the quality that you guys put in into the these events. Um, and we just have a good relationship with Greenlight and it's always been a very good. So that's so all that added up to me agreeing to kind of come there and, and, and to
1: the, our company to be there uh, as well. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, I can't wait to, to hear your talk. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be great. You uh, I love the the the. Combination of usability and cybersecurity because we have been focusing a lot on cybersecurity, which you know, rightfully so. Um, but we can't take our eyes off the prize. You know, what the yeah. intended use, the, the the quality of patient, the improvement to the quality of life to the end yeah. user. So, any other thoughts or or things you'd like to to? I we covered a lot of ground, but I don't know what I don't know. So, what what other things am I missing? <laughs>
0: I think we covered pretty much everything. I mean, I ultimately, I think it's still an evolving thing, right? Yeah. So it's a lot to learn, a lot to um, fail at, and learn and 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 find good solutions. Um, and it's it's something that will never end. Like even in twenty years, we'll be talking about it because it's it's essentially a balance, and the balance has to be kept um, constantly. And uh, there's always going to be imbalances uh, in in certain times, and you just have to keep it keep working at it. Uh, but I think my point I was trying to make today with this, this talk hopefully I made is there's a lot of push on cybersecurity, as you said, rightfully so. But let's not uh, you know, take away the the convenience or the the usability aspect completely out of the picture. Uh, so find, let's find a way to kind of balance and, and address both the usability and cybersecurity. And you know, from that, some innovations will come, right? So we'll come up with new, new ways of doing things or new technologies can be improved upon or, or implemented. Um, that will address that. But if you, if you take away that problem, then there's nobody working on it. So keep focusing on there's a problem of usability when you put too much cybersecurity controls around that, especially user facing controls. And let's figure out a way to kind of have the best of both worlds.
1: That's great. And you covered a lot of ground as far. Like you said, um, there's lots of different ways to have that marriage of usability and cybersecurity. So um, I love all of the different tips you gave. It's great. I think this is going to be a very vo- uh, valuable um, session, especially at True Quality. If those of you listening are able to come, definitely definitely drop in and say hi to a boss. Tell him okay. you know him personally now because you've met him on the podcast. So um, any last words before we kind of wrap this up? This, I think. Yes, yeah. yeah. Keep, keep on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't give up on cybersecurity. Don't give up on usability. Thank you all okay. for listening. You've been listening to the global medical device podcast. If you're interested in learning more about why we do the, the podcast, why we do all the different things, even the things that Abbas had mentioned um, head over to www.greenlight.guru and check out the, uh, the software that we're putting together or have put together the only medical device success platform built for Uh, Medical device professionals by medical device professionals. We will see you all next time. Thank you. The medical device industry is nothing if not unique. So we built software that works the same way. Greenlight Guru is the only quality management system designed by medical device professionals to meet the unique needs of medical device companies. Our cloud-based platform allows companies to bring safer products to market up to three times faster while reducing risk and lowering costs. Visit www.greenlight.guru today to request your free personalized demo of Greenlight Guru.